This episode of the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast was brought to you by The Spa Warehouse. Hello and welcome to the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast. Red Lips and Stilettos is an industry hub and creative space for the beauty professionals. My name is Kerry Lee and I'm the founder of Red Lips and Stilettos. Here we are giving you, as the beauty professional, a voice to be heard within our industry. We serve to help connect you to the beauty professionals who have been there, done that, and experienced a world and more of what our professional beauty industry has to offer. Building a makeup empire to becoming CEO of an international skincare brand, on this podcast we are bringing success stories right to your ears every single week. Our guest today is Jacqueline Wenzel. Jacqueline is without a doubt passionate about the spa industry and is a respected industry representative and entrepreneur. Jacqueline graduated with a master's from the Stellenbosch Academy of Health and Skin Care Therapy and continued to excel obtaining her master's from the South African Institute of Beauty Therapists. Advanced Aesthetics from the British Confederation, her Masters from Sedesco, Clinical Aromatherapy Masters from Eve Taylor Aromatherapy, and her Aerobics and Fitness Instructor Diploma from the Exercise Teachers Association. It was during the period of 1996 to 2000 that Jacqueline truly excelled when working for Steiner when she became the manager of a health spa on board one of the cruise liners. Jacqueline later became a Steiner recruitment manager in South Africa as well as at head office in London where she thrived, allowing for her to be promoted to regional business manager for Elemis Cosmetic Sales Division in the UK. Jacqueline returned to South Africa, where she became the Bioharmony Sales Manager for Gauteng from 2001 to 2003. In 2003, Jacqueline was appointed National Sales and Marketing Manager for NIMU South Africa, where her expertise and industry knowledge flourished. Jacqueline left NIMU in the end of 2005 to, to open her own distribution and design company, The Spa Warehouse which is solely devoted to the industry that she loves. Since 2005, Jacqueline has been owner and in-house designer at the Spa Warehouse, a leading supplier of various prestigious spa brands, equipment, and spa furniture. Welcome to the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast, Jacqueline. Welcome, Jacqueline, to the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. This is fun. I have been looking so forward to recording this episode with you because you have such an incredible career behind you and an entrepreneurial journey, which you're living right now, which I can't wait to hear more about. Sure. Um, But Jacqueline, so every episode, we start off with the exact same question, and that is if you can take us right back and tell us all about how you entered into the beauty industry. Um, interesting. I um, went and studied fine arts at University of Stellenbosch first um, because I was quite artistic and um, I got into the fine arts program at the Stellenbosch University. Um, and so I did fine arts my first year at university. And um, that was quite a journey because um, I don't think I was weird enough for the fine arts and I didn't sleep in next to my paintings and and stuff like that I I don't think I was weird enough for that department Um, (laughs) and eccentric enough for that department and so I changed courses and then went into studying a BSc in human movement science at University of Stellenbosch and um, because I was good at sport as well and I um, I did that for a year, but I realized that I loved sport for um, 
doing it as a hobby, not as a job. So mm -hmm. I decided to leave um, university and took a year off because I actually didn't really know what I wanted to be. And while I was doing that, I actually went and modeled um, at a modeling agency and worked at a modeling agency in um, Cape Town at the time. And I met a girl there who was the, um, the uh, she was the beauty editor of Fair Lady at the time. And um, she turned to me and she said, why don't you go and study beauty therapy? Because you are so, I, I can see you in that field. And I was like, oh, um, I don't know, you know, I had a, a quite a switched on brain. And, and so when I told my father I wanted to go and study beauty therapy, he went, what? You want to go and paint nails? Uh, and because in those days that was all it was you know we did a two-year course and and then you were a beauty therapist and um so i applied at isaac Hastings in stellenbosch yeah and i got in and um, we had to go for interviews and i got in and i went and studied beauty therapy at isaac Hastings, and that's where i really got to know what our industry was about was there um, and that's how it all started. That's amazing. I think when yeah. you're 18 years old and you get asked, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? You're Completely. so young to yeah. decide then and there, yeah. that, you know, to make yeah. that decision. Um, and I was, I was actually at school a year too early. So by the time I finished matric, I was actually still 17. So I really okay. didn't know what, what yeah. I wanted to do. I, and I often tell um, youngsters now, and I think that's important to mention, is that, you know, often they don't know what they want to go and do and they don't know in what field or what direction they want to go into. And I just say, you know what, just go and start something. You'll figure it out as you go along. Um, yeah. Because um, you do. You just somehow, <laughs> everything just falls into place somehow. So, yeah, I think um, yeah, when you're that age, um, you want a, a solution to, you want to know exactly in black and white, like what your career is going to look like. But I think yeah. along the way, you realize that it's all, I call them stepping stones and lessons yeah. that you need to learn to where you actually need to be. It's a journey. And, uh, totally. And, you know, the, I think the other thing that we, that the world's become such a, um, a place of um, everything's got to be so perfect. And, yeah. um, you know, you're never going to be successful if you're, if everything is, if everything isn't, your ducks aren't all in a row. And, and, you know, the funniest thing is I made loads of mistakes. You know, my, I, I passed all my years at university, but trust me, there were sometimes where I scraped through. And, you know, if I think back now, yeah. yes, they were probably mistakes, but at the same instance, though, they weren't, um, mistakes that, um, yeah, that actually was like such a learning curve for me that it ended up making me find my way. Without them, I wouldn't have found my way. No problem. I'm sure you would have eventually. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And Jacqueline, um, from after you qualified uh, at Isaac Harston's, um, where did you go next? Um, I straight away, um, I actually worked in my December holidays. I got a job at a salon in the waterfront. It was the only beauty salon at the time in the waterfront shopping center um, called Linda Fanikak Salon. And I started there. Um, but in the meantime, I had applied for Steiner. And um, and by January, I was told I got into Steiner. In those days, um, we 
couldn't go for our interviews here. We had to actually apply, and then if on, on paper you looked okay, that you were allowed to come to the UK to come for an interview. So I had to actually fly to the UK yeah. um, just for an interview um, to see if I was okay. And um, But there was no guarantee. I could have also failed it. So, um, But I took the chance, and thank goodness my, my parents gave me the money and said, um, take the chance and see what happens. And I did. I flew to the UK, and I went for my interview in the UK and um, got a job with Steiner and started my training the following day. And four weeks later, I was on a cruise liner seeing the world. Yeah, it was such, That's it amazing. Was such an amazing, that is amazing. Um, journey, I must say. Steiner was, was great. Yeah, it was great. Because when you're a newbie in those days, you had to start off as a massage therapist. And, um, but I soon realized within a week that, oh, this was going to be hard work. <laughs> and that I, um, and I decided, yeah. you know what, I'm going to, and I realized if you retail well, um, you know, they look at you and they realize that you can retail, they'll put you onto facials or slimming treatments really quickly. And um, so I sold my heart and soul out that first week on massage and sold more than the facialist did. So they turned, they, they swapped me over and they put me onto slimming treatments for my, I think it was the first six months I did slimming treatments, but it was inothermy. I mean, you just stick the clay on and you sit in next to the client and chat to her for a whole hour. Yeah. Um, and, um, it was so easy. It was, yeah. it was really nice treatments to do. And, um, yeah, and of course made in those days, we made really, really, really good money. Um, it was, and we didn't have in those days, I mean, this, we're talking about a long time ago, there weren't things like international bank accounts and we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have, um, in, you know, we didn't, didn't get paid by EFT. You got paid in cash on board the ship. So you had the safety, you had a little safety deposit box oh on the ship where you would stick your cash in. Every week I would get my salary. And my commission and all the tips that was given to you, you could just save and put into your safety deposit box. So we had tons and tons of um, US dollars in cash in our little safety deposit boxes. Um, and then when we climbed off the ship after nine months, oh we would goodness. like stick it in our bras and in our panties and everywhere just to get it out the country, wherever we were. <laughs> and we would walk through the, you know, go and fly back home with tons of US dollars in cash on, on hand, you know, um, and we wouldn't, and they weren't cell phones in those days. Yeah. So what we did is, um, you know, they could only send you a fax. Um, so your family could only communicate with you because there was no social media or any of that stuff. And there was no internet or anything that had just started. Yeah. And so you would get this massive fax number that you had to send to your, your family. And, and this fax number was so long. If you made a mistake halfway through, you had to start all over again with the digits. And, um, that fax would then come through to the, um, the main, um, you know, the main bridge or wherever the captains were. And then, that fact then gets given to you. So they, they had to be very careful what they actually put on the facts because everyone could read it. But, um, yeah, it was yeah. a very different, different ball game. We would climb off the ship. When we had some time off, we would oh, climb off goodness. the ship. Um, there were call stations at every port. Um, and you would buy like a calling card and then you would phone yeah. your family from there. And because there were no cell phones, you would phone home. Obviously we had landlines and we would phone home and, um, 
you would hope that they were ha were home because if they weren't home, you'd miss them until the next port. Um, you know, and or you'd maybe phone and it'd be yeah. like something stupid, like ten o'clock at night or something, and you know your your parents are half asleep and <laughs> and you're phoning them and it's eight o'clock in the morning and yeah, stuff like that. Oh my so goodness. it was a very different ball game then, very very different. <laughs> Very different. So yeah. I, I actually, I've worked with Steiner oh, wow. as Anna Thing yeah. as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But very different times. <laughs> oh, ach, yeah, no, everything. Yeah, things have changed a lot since phone, then. I mean, yeah. those were the really good old days, I must say. And I later on became a manager the second year. of. I ended up being manager. And, um, yeah. and then obviously it was a different ball game. And I spent most of my time as manager after that. So, yeah. It was very interesting. Mm. That's amazing. And going from being a, um, a therapist and part of the team to being, you know, told yeah. that you need to sell and do this and that, to being manager and on um, the other side. How, I, how at the time, I found it a big challenge. I was I was a little young, I think. I, I think I was 25, 26, and I was a manager of 15 staff. Yeah. Um, and we were doing like a million dollars turnover a week in our spa. So the responsibility was huge. And yeah. I think looking back now, you get thrown in the deep end, excuse the French, but you get thrown in the deep end, um, excuse that pun, um, in, <laughs> with, with Steiner, yeah. um, which I think is good. Um, because you, you learn how to swim. You either sink or swim. You, you just have to. But I, I would yeah. never suggest anybody actually become a manager at 26. Um, because I think you're a bit still too young. I don't think yeah. we have enough experience to do it properly. I made lots of mistakes as a manager at that age because I mean, some of my staff were like, was like 40. So yeah, you are 25 and you're managing a yeah. 40 year old. How can you tell a 40 year old what to do? Do you know? Um, so it was a, yeah, it was different. Yeah. I think they're much better at it now because they prepare you to become manager. In those days, we didn't, there wasn't a managing, managerial course or anything that you could go through. You would just next year come back as a manager type of scenario if they thought you had potential. So yeah. it was a different ball game than now. I think they prepare them properly now for all the variables and things that can go wrong. Um, but yeah, it was a, a if I, I think if I um, was still young enough and I had gone back again, I possibly would have gone back as a therapist again. Um, as a, as a therapist, you have very little responsibility. Yeah. You literally pitch up for work, you do your job, and you yeah. go home. Um, you go to your cabin, and you and when your time is off, your time is off. As a manager, you're on duty twenty four seven. Yeah. Because you are responsible towards the yeah, the captain. So you know, you are accountable for whatever your staff does on and off the ship at all times, whether it's four o'clock in the morning or whether it's, you know, bu um, business hours or not. Um, so the responsibility is huge as a manager on ships. Yeah. You're, you're actually never off duty. Um, and so the responsibility yeah, so is big. Mm. Yeah, I actually wrote to Steiner's head office because kept, everyone kept on phoning me going, how did you get the job? And I got back to South Africa and people were phoning me saying, how did you get onto Steiner and all of this stuff? And people didn't really at the time, our, you know, they didn't necessarily have the money to go and um, fly to England to take a chance. 
So I wrote to Steiner head office and I said to yeah. them, I'd like to start a recruitment office for you in South Africa. And um, because I have all these people who are wanting to know how they can get onto Steiner. And um, so I'd like to know if it's possible for me to actually interview them here, then finalize the, um, the choice and then only send them straight into training. So they didn't have to take the chance. They already knew they sort of had the job um, and gone straight into training. And the funniest yeah. thing is they had already started doing that in Australia and in Europe and so on um, just the year before, and it was working very well. And so they phoned me, and the recruitment manager phoned me and said, um, great, we'd like you to, to do this for us. And so I um, started the recruitment office out of my one-bedroom flat in Bloberg Strand. I was sitting in my, <laughs> I was sitting in my apartment. <laughs> that is amazing. Bloberg, I'll never forget this. With this beautiful view, I had the gorgeous flat that looked over the whole ocean, and I would sit in my second bedroom. It was my above was my office, and I would look over the whole of Blo over the ocean towards Table Mountain, and I'd be speaking to um, my boss in the UK. And, um, and so what I did is I started yeah. doing presentations at, um, Wella and at, um, Isaac Carstens and International Academy and all of these beauty schools all over and in Joburg. Um, I would do presentations and then, um, I would interview everyone. Um, I would decide here whether they were, um, suitable for Steiner or not and whether their qualifications were good enough and, I would put them through trade tests. I would do all their trade testing. Um, and they would have to bring a model, obviously, and they would trade test in front of me. And then we would choose from there who we wanted to send over. And then I would arrange their, um, their medical, they had to go for their medicals here, um, their Siemens visas here. And we would arrange all their flights and things from the UK and, um, and off they go. And off they went straight. They would actually fly themselves to the UK, but they would go That's straight amazing. into training from there. They didn't have to go through interviews again. Yeah. That is incredible. The amount of lives Hugely. that you yeah. must have impacted huge, huge, by just huge. doing that. Huge. Like, yeah. you know, given so many women and yeah. men, I guess, an opportunity totally. to travel, to... Yeah. to see the world. A few That's years crazy. ago, I was standing at a conference. I was a speaker at one of the conferences, and a girl came to me afterwards, and she said to me, you probably won't remember me. She said, but um, I got interviewed by you in, I don't know, <laughs> whatever year it was, and um, you sent me on Steiner. I was a South ex-South African, and I went straight on to Steiner, and I now live in the UK, and she's a, a complete um skincare or skincare ingredient expert she is she was actually one of the speakers with me at the conference That's amazing. Kirstie, and um she just said to me you changed my life if it wasn't you turned to me and said to me you think you're not worth anything but you can be a lot more than what you think you can be and i ended up sending her <laughs> and it changed her life completely yeah so i get a lot of that That's still amazing. every now and then i I oh get still people who, yeah. you know, stop me and stop me at conferences or stop me at expos and stuff and go, oh, my word, you interviewed me. You sent me on, on Steiner. You changed my life. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, it is nice to know that you had an impact. Yeah, yeah. 
no, it is seriously, nice. the, like on a yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, like, that's I, such a great impact to have, um, especially in the yeah, in the it, it was nice. Globally. And then when I I did um, I worked for Steiner out of the South African, you know, ran the South African office, I think, for about two years. And then Steiner moved me to um, London yeah. to the to the head office, and I worked out of um, the London head office for a year, um, and did recruitment in Europe and out of yeah. their head office in London. And because uh, I needed to get out of South Africa at the time, I just needed to. I, I was still had very much the travelling bug in me, unfortunately. But after a year. Yeah, yeah, I real do. I still it's do. The real thing. Um, but yeah, and I after I worked for them for the recruitment side for another year in London, um, and then I moved um, over to Alamus, um, which was their sister company at the time. And um, Alamus um, was, and mm. I actually read for Alamus in London and um, in in the UK for a while, and then the weather got to me, and then I was like, okay. Um, this is a crowded little yeah. island. I need to get out of England and I need to see some sunshine. And um, so I came back home. It's funny, hey, yeah. how, because um, I've lived in London as well. And it's the, the illusion of it's every, you know, on of the course. other side, it's better. It's going to be greener on the other side. It's, and then you yeah. get there and it's, it's tough. It's cold. It's miserable. It's, <laughs> it's miserable. Grumpy. Totally. And like, yeah, it's, it is miserable. And it's gray permanently around you and you end up yeah, living so in indoors all the time. I played indoor tennis there. I, you know, you're indoor pubs and restaurants at, um, after work. You just, everything's indoor. And I was just like, I'm so, I'm such a yeah, nature so girl true. and I'm such an outdoor person that I, and I love being outdoors. So for me to live there was, uh, it was a challenge. It was a very big challenge. So I came back home and yeah. um, I didn't work for about yeah. six months after that. I took a bit of a break from it all because I'd done a lot of like really long hours for years. And I then got a job up in Johannesburg for a company called BioHarmony. Um, I was repping for BioHarmony, which was a supplement yeah. company, and they did Patrick Holford supplements um, for – a while and then she made me sales manager for Gateng and I ended up looking after all the discins and, and so on for quite a while. And I enjoyed that. I, I, I learned quite a lot about supplements and, um, you know, and it's really become handy now, especially in a, in a place where we are now, um, to know all of that stuff. Yeah. It's, it's been yeah, a, um, a great move. Um, and then when, while I was working for BioHarmony, I started putting my feelers out. I wanted to get back into the beauty industry because it was still where my love was. And, um, and then yeah. Nimue approached me to um, actually um, come and work for them. So, um, and I started, we, we were, okay. I was going to start off just by doing Joburg repping for Nimue. Um, but within two months of me starting, the NIMU South African office was sold, um, or the South African distribution was sold to someone else, and they made me sales and marketing manager for NIMU for, um, for South Africa. Um, so I ran NIMU Amazing. for 
must have been, I don't know, three years. I can't even remember. Time's flown since then. Um, yeah, and then one moment, and I was living in Joburg, yeah. um, you know, doing the corporate thing, doing that, you know, you fall into that Joburg rut really quickly when you're there. And I um, woke up one morning and I went, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do, uh, you know, wh where do yeah. I want to be and what do I want for my life? And I think you do get to that age where you go, okay, can I do this for the rest of my life or can I not? And I think I was about um, 30, 32, around yeah. there when I made the decision that um, I wanted to go and live where I wanted to live and then see what happens. And um, I knew I wanted to live in Cape Town. I'd studied in Stellenbosch. I knew Stellenbosch well. I knew I wanted to live in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, I knew this is what I called, in a sense, home. Um, and I knew that this was, for me, the place that I would prefer to be in if I'm going to start settling. This is where I'd rather settle. And um, so I started putting my feelers yeah. out to start doing something in Cape Town. Um, and unfortunately, my boss at Nimue found out. And um, <laughs> we ended up having this um, amicable um, conversation where I ended up basically um, yeah, resigning slash retrenchment. I don't know what it really was, but I got paid out of a package and I and he knew I, yeah. he knew my heart was to go to Cape Town and move there. And I couldn't do what I was doing from Cape Town in any case. So I... Um, so yeah, I, I left yeah. Lemieux and um, came down to Cape Town, moved to Cape Town. I didn't know what I was going to do and I had no job. Um, I had some money in the bank and I'm, I lived with a friend for a while and then moved into a one bedroom apartment in Cape Town at Seapoint. And um, I was lying on Clifton one day on the beach on a deck chair and I thought, so what am I going to do with myself? And um, I thought up the whole concept of yeah. the spa warehouse. While I was, <laughs> and I remember my father was That's an amazing. insurance broker, and he was a broker for a whole bunch of different companies. And um, I always said to him, "Why are you not just a broker yeah. for one company? Why are you a broker for a whole bunch of different companies?" And he said to me, "Because." Um, my clients are all different, so I would sit down with my client and I would determine what her need was or what their needs were, and then I would find the best solution for them in the insurance industry. And I thought about this concept and I thought, you know what, yeah. this is a clever concept because in those days um, there weren't companies, there were very few of them around that was like that. And I thought, well, maybe that's the concept is a one-stop shop for spas because I love the whole concept of spa and um, yeah and let me be more hands-on where I actually find the solution for clients and that's exactly what we still do to this day. Yeah you see this is why I love um, this podcast because yes. those are the things that we don't yes. hear. You see the success story but yeah. you don't hear of yeah, yeah. like you know the how it started and I'm sure in those first two, three um, you years, don't understand. I remember I, I started. I remember starting around <laughs> um, 
uh, October, September, October or so. Um, it was just some starting summer season. So, you know, salons and spas were still buying quite a bit. And I'd got a few agencies of friends of mine who had, they had products up in Joburg and they needed an agent down in Cape Town. And I had approached them and said, you don't have to pay me. You can only pay me commission once I sell your stuff. And so I had these agencies, so I had Priceless and I had some products and I would go and just cold call as many spas and salons as possible. And I had a few clients that I knew from Nimu days, but, you know, yeah. I was selling something completely different now because it was all spa body wraps and stuff that I was selling and Nimu didn't, wasn't actually into it. So it wasn't really my clientele. I was more into the spa world. and. Um, and so the first six months, it was like glorious. We were in summer, people were buying, clients were buying lots from me because it was busy season and it was all going really, really, really well. And then um, I think it was about May, June, the following year, you know, after being going for about a year, the winter of the following year where I woke up one morning and realized I have got um, maybe 150 rand in my bank account and I had my car and my rent and everything to pay by the end. I ended up giving yeah. up my apartment, been working out of and I'd been living in. Thank goodness the rent was up so I could actually, I didn't have to renew the lease. Um, I phoned a friend of mine who had a three-bedroom apartment and she kept on saying to me, um, I'd met her at the tennis club and she had said to me, if you ever need space to stay, I've got room. So just let me know if you feel like it. And so I phoned her and said, is that office still stands? And she said, yeah, there's a whole bedroom standing empty here if you want one. So I moved into her three-bedroom apartment with her. And I literally ran the spa warehouse out of my bedroom. And so for probably about a year, wow. I stayed with her. Um, and um, we were good friends. Thank goodness for that. It was a bit of a challenge because we were very different people and, and we were there was an age gap of a, probably about um I would say about ten, I don't know, I can't remember, about ten years age gap or something. And so it was a bit diff difficult. Um but I knew I had to do that to be able to survive and um and to be able to just carry on. I didn't want to give up. People keep asking me, why did you start yeah. your own business? And for me, um having time off and um, having the time and the freedom to go and do what I'd like to do whenever I like to do it um, was for me more important than money. So as long as I had enough money to survive, yeah, I was happy. But it meant that I didn't have to work weekends. It meant that I didn't have yeah. to That's uh, unless you... I chose to. Um, you know, it meant that if I wanted to go and do a walk next to the beach in the morning, I could. Um, uh, it meant that I didn't have to write any reports for anybody. <laughs> I didn't, I hate writing reports, by the way. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, I just didn't have to be accountable to anybody, yeah. which was obviously for me a bonus at the time. And it didn't really matter to me so much of having fancy cars and fancy yeah. flats and all of this stuff. It wasn't the reason why I was doing it. Um, I was doing it to buy myself the time. And, and of course, if you slog away at something, you know, and you're that dedicated to it, because it takes a lot of dedication and it definitely takes a lot of discipline. <laughs> you have to be self-disciplined yeah. in, in, in any scenario. You cannot um, not be self-disciplined. 
and it took a lot of time but once this it sort of started clicking in and i started um you know having a started building up a reputation of being a re re reliable person to contact if they were looking for something and whether they whether it was sometimes i even sourced them stuff that i didn't even initially have on my books and um and that's how it started and um yeah and that's amazing it's funny when you're passionate about what you do yeah. and you know that you're yeah, yeah. So true. how Very true. you can live with. In the pandemic, I think it's also been a bit of a wake-up call for us once again, just to um, put down our egos and realize um, we can do with a lot less. We don't need so much as what we want. But I remember in those days, um, exactly. I had to put down my ego quite a lot of times. <laughs> in the last 15 years, there's been quite a few times where I've had to, yeah. you know, put down my ego and go, uh, I can't afford to drive that car or I can't afford to have those fancy premises or I can't afford to, um, you know, wear designer clothing. And, you know, when I was on Steiner, I could afford any of that. Yeah. Um, and when I, when you're on land, you have to sometimes yeah, just put your so ego true. down and realize, but that's not what makes you. Those things are not what makes you. And and I still um, get sometimes where um, people will approach me, for instance, and ask me whether the spa warehouse will distribute their products, for instance. I often get that, obviously. And um, and when they do, the first question I ask them is, "Go, what is your expectation of of me?" And they were like, and they would say, like, "Okay, we would like to do that yeah. type of turnover, and we also would like to, you know, you need to report back to who you're seeing and all of this stuff." And then I go, "Okay, sorry, I'm not the right company for you." And they were, and and I can hear people are sort yeah. of a bit shocked. And and the reality is the. The freedom that I've had in 15 years where I don't need to report to anyone but myself, um, which is sometimes even yeah. harder to do, to be honest, because your expectation is sometimes a lot higher than even a client's expectation or, or a supplier's um, expectation. And, um, yeah, that freedom, I can't, money can't buy that. Hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And Jacqueline, out of all your experience mm. um, in the spa and the beauty industry from the beginning to where you are now, what would what are what are the top three lessons that you've had oh, to the hardest lessons that you've had one. to learn throughout um, your career? Oh, good question. I think the the biggest um, the biggest thing I've learned over time is that um, that that it's Rome was not built in a day. Um, and I think often people want to make a massive, they want to get where I am in a year. It doesn't happen. It happens over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and you need patience. You need diligence. You need discipline and you need patience. Um, because it's not always going to go your way. And then you're going to have some successes and you're going to have some failures, but you're going to have to be diligent at it. You're going to have to have discipline and you're going to have to have patience. Not easy when you're younger because when we're younger, we tend to not have as much patience as what we have when we're older. So it's a little bit easier for me now than it was then. Um, but I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons I learned over time was that you know, <laughs> nothing was built in a day. Um, the other thing I think what um, was was – 
big lesson for me always was that I always made sure, and I still do today to this day, I always make sure that I have a buffer somewhere. Whether I have um, cash flow lying in a bank account or whether I have some cash flow lying in a bond that I can access if I need to, or um, because cash flow is king in your business. If you don't have money in your business, your business can't carry on. So I always made sure that I have a buffer. Yeah, and so I mean, true. pandemic is a prime example. Um, you know, here we have been told to close down for three or four months in our industry. And unless you have access to money and cash flow, you would have suffered through it. Um, and so I always try and do that. Yeah. And if it means I've got to cut my expenses so that I can build up a buffer again, if I had to, like, for instance, during pandemic, we've obviously had to um, access our our savings and, and things as much as possible to try and cover us in business. And now we're in a place where we can possibly start yeah. building again. And to build again, um, you know, you need to, you need to have excess to build with. So, you know, I, um, you know, I moved my office back home, you know, cut my expenses, you know, cut fancy offices, cut, cut all of those things so that I have excess again to be able to put back as a buffer somewhere just in case yeah i really like that advice gonna be living yeah. on the edge the whole time um it's it just it kills you it kills you in stress um it, it's not a great stress and and that's where the ego comes yeah. in big time because that's the time when you need to put down the ego and say fancy yeah. offices don't make me I mean, here we are all working from home mostly, um, and it's okay. It really is okay. We can still do a great job, even though we're working from home, maybe. Um, and yeah, that's when you've got to put down the ego and say, yeah. you know, those things don't matter. It doesn't define me. I have brilliant accountants um, who is unemotional about it, and they give me sound advice. Um, when we sit down and I say, listen, our industry is taking strain. I don't know how am I going to do it. And then he spends two hours with me and breaks it all down and says, this is what you'll do. And we'll figure it out. And I think that's really important. Um, I'm very mm -hmm. religious and I, um, you know, I go to God really regularly. Sometimes I get advice from God, which is for me, um, more valuable than anyone could ever give me. And it's usually advice would I, that I had not thought about at all. So I think it's really important that you find your, your people yeah. as well as, you know, whether it's, uh, I don't care what your religion is, but whatever, wherever you find your spiritual, um, um, health, I think it's really important to have that in your life because without that you would not, um, you can't do this alone. And the advice to advice to people is don't don't expect your yeah, family to give you good sound advice. advice. And I'm not saying they won't. I'm just saying often they're too yeah. emotional, and often they also too vested in you because they've got your best interest at heart, but they're coming from their own fears for you. So sometimes it's better 
So sometimes it's better to to yeah. have yeah, so you know, independent people. And mm. they have they have a lot of of course. You know, and your family has a lot of influence of course. over you. Of so course. you take it you take their advice a lot more mm. than you take a stranger's advice, but it's instead of actually um wisdom driven. Yeah. And that's a big yeah. difference. So what I often do is I might discuss it with my family yeah. and they might give me their imp- impact or their input and 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 what they would like to you know what they think that would be better for me but i often would take that to my business coach or to my my mentor or um whoever you wanted to take it i my accountants are my business coaches as well and i would often go to them and put it down in front of them and say so what do you think of this idea and they would give me a insight into it that's non emotional yeah and it's and that helps so I don't just take what anybody says yeah. to me as as gospel. I actually check yeah. it with someone that I trust. Thank you so much Jacqueline for, you know, spending this time with me and sharing your story. I hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode as much as I loved recording it for you. I'd highly recommend going to check out the spa warehouse. The spa industry is so lucky to have the spa warehouse. And I'd also highly recommend going to give the spa warehouse a follow on the gram at the spa warehouse. You can also check out their website www.thesparwarehouse.co.za. Thanks again to Jacqueline for this exceptional episode. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast. If you loved listening to this episode as much as I loved recording it for you, then please support our little business by subscribing to this podcast. And for extra brownie points, share this episode with someone you know in the beauty industry who will enjoy it too. This podcast is here for you, the beauty professional. If you know of someone or if you feel that you would be a great fit for the podcast, pop me a message or a DM on the gram and I would love to share your voice and your story on the Red Lips and Stilettos podcast. Until next time, pro beauty industry, stay ahead, stay smiling and stay connected. You are appreciated.